Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to, well quite frankly I've lost count now in terms of the DCEU. Is this even part of the DCEU? Who knows? Who knows? But either way, we, what we do know is that it's called Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Do we though? Or is it? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Because over the weekend, this movie didn't do as well as might have been expected at the US box office. And there seems to have been already an Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat style panic over Warner Brothers, who appear to have, in the States at least, renamed this movie Harley Quinn, colon, Birds of Prey, which... I'm sure we'll get into in a few seconds, might actually be a better and more honest representation of what the film is Mm. than the current title. But anyway, that's what this podcast is going to be about. We're going to be discussing Birds of Prey. Let's just call it that. Let's call it Bob. Let's just call it Bob. Let's just call it Bob. Mmm, Bob. Uh, And joining me to discuss that over the next hour or so are two of my very own um, Birds of Prey. Mm Two of the finest birds I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a minefield. <laughs> it's a bloody minefield. Anyway, uh, in, in a, it, we're discussing a film filled with ineffectual men. I'm delighted to welcome Amon Warren. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thank you, Mr. Hewitt. Uh, who is absolutely not an ineffectual man. He's an effectual man. <laughs> Which is a thing that people say. That is a thing that you are. <laughs> say that so I'm often. <laughs> How long have I known you now? <laughs> and I look at you and I think, I mean, I look at you and I think, effectual. <laughs> there is a man who'll get the job done. Okay. Mostly. Oh. <laughs> From time to time. Anyway. I was going to say good save and then you... <laughs> then you want to move Then I spilled it into the net. <laughs> Uh, anyway, welcome to the podcast, Amon. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excellent, yeah. excellent. And uh, then, of course, we have our very own Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn, not Harley Quinn, because that mm-hmm. Harley Quinn's job is to serve. And uh, you are absolutely not here to serve, Helena Hara. Thanks. You are here to <laughs> serve Up justice. Yes, <laughs> to people. It's Helen O'Hara, our geek queen. How Hello, are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Good, good, good. And uh, But before us three giggling idiots get into the film and we answer some of your questions as well, let's first hear from the lady who made it. Yes, indeed, it is the film's director, Kathy Yan, who came into London a couple of weeks ago. And after I saw the film, I went along, had a good old spoilerific chat about the film with her major revelations, third act deaths, the whole kit and caboodle. So... Once again, you're, you, you're, we're not behind the paywall. Chances are you're, you've paid for this. <laughs> I really hope you've paid for this. And uh, if, and so that I think means you've seen this film, but just being the safe side, I'm going to say this just in case. If you haven't seen Mmm Bop, then highly stop this recording right now. Stop listening to this. Highly to your nearest multiplex. See the film. Come back and listen to that because it's spoiler city from this point on. Okay. Have they gone? Then the rest of us can proceed. Here I am talking to Kathy Ann. Do please enjoy. And we go! <laughs> there is a lot to talk about. It takes 25 minutes just to say the name of the film. <laughs> so, so oh, burn! <laughs> so this can be a short one. Um, delighted to be joined on this Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. You did it! Spider special. 
Have people been getting that wrong? No, I Kathy just I'm Yan, impressed that you said the entire title. Though. Yeah, no, listen, listen, I've got this thing down pat. It's it's all good. Uh, welcome, welcome. Uh, Thank you so how much. are you? I'm very good. Thank good, you. good, good. Uh, welcome to Spoiler Therapy. And uh, the uh, the I usually like to get the big burning question out of the way first of all, which is. Uh, what would happen if I were to call Fuller and Form personal injury attorneys? Because <laughs> I suspect them a lot. That is an inside joke, actually. Yeah, <laughs> okay, that, yeah. Um, Please explain. <laughs> well, um, our head of DC, Walter Hamada, insisted on it because I guess they've been playing these inside jokes on each other for some time. Oh, really? And yeah, they'll put, you know, he, he's in some movies. Okay. Some other movies. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so this is uh, this is Brad Fuller and Drew Form who mm-hmm. have produced lots of films with Michael Bay and Quiet Place and things like that. Exactly. Because at the end, I was like, oh, "That's that's them. What, yeah. What's happening? What, this is this is crazy." I feel like Woodward and Bernstein. I feel like I've stumbled upon something bigger than that. that. Was very. I mean, that is clever though. It's pretty subtle. Yeah. Yeah. This We're trying is to figure out the right. Um, cheesy advertisement to give them. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And no phone number, I noticed, which is important, so you, you can't actually call them at we their place We should have done a phone number. That would have been better. <laughs> their actual yeah, phone exactly. numbers. exactly. <laughs> uh, so, is it, this is a, a very, very fun film. Is it a film that you like to embed lots of stuff like that in the background? Absolutely. I, well. I think we what have, have so much fun with that. <laughs> Basically. Hmm. Um, my dog is in it. My, okay. There's a photo of my dog, but it's very fast. Um, mm-hmm. That was that was a little lovely gift from the VFX team. <laughs> um, li- yeah, there's it's 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 full of little details yeah. and, and and you know hopefully jokes that you you kind of understand the second time around as well. Yes, yeah. absolutely. There are little nods, obviously, to uh, what came before Suicide Squad. We mm-hmm. see we see Captain Boomerang's mugshot on a wall at some mm-hmm. at one point. We got the Daddy the Little Monster. T-shirt as well. That's, that's right. in there. Also, am I missing anything, Kathy? Is there anything else in there that? Um, I can't think of anything. I mean, obviously, we we took the mallet and we took you know the baseball yes. bat. Uh, mm. The tattoos. We 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 rejigger some of the tattoos. So the J tattoo on her arm, uh, we made into a mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but with the you know with with the form of the J. So we, uh-huh. we just took the J and then added to it and obviously she you know she's crossed out a few other tattoos yes and there's the putting cups tattoo in the beginning of the movie okay. so uh, we had a lot of fun with that because yeah. it is it is the movie is driven uh, by that fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn and it's interesting that you start right away with that uh, mm-hmm. was that always the idea from from the off or were, there, were there iterations to the script where where maybe Harley broke from Mr. J mm-hmm. uh, throughout the course of the movie yeah no that was definitely the original concept I think what was really appealing was the idea of Harley like what's the first day of her new life like yeah. and then boy does she get in trouble because most <laughs> of the movie actually happens over the course of a single day yeah um, which is really fun and tight in that way. Um, but yeah, I think we wanted to really just separate her from that and, and make the movie way more about who she is yeah. and her finding herself um, when she is no longer just the girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through that, obviously, finding the birds of prey instead. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting as well because uh, I, I, the incels are going to love this film, Kathy. They're, really <laughs> <laughs> they're going to go. They're there. for them. <laughs> yep, this movie is definitely for the incels. I feel it's going to really reach out and speak to them because. <laughs> 
because Harley, and in fact all the, all the birds of prey ultimately, but Harley throughout the movie is besieged. She is beset by inadequate douchebags. Uh, <laughs> so even though she has got rid of the Mr. J in her life, there are, there are, there are little echoes of him, I think, in everybody that she meets. Is, that, right. is that what you were going for uh, with, with that? Definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, I think it, she just realizes that it's still the same world. It's still a doggy dog world. It's still very much um, predominantly, you know, a world where men rule the roost a little bit. And so once she is exposed in a way by um, so clearly separating herself from the yes. Joker. <laughs> Fairly extravagantly. <laughs> exactly. Fantabulously, you might even say. Exactly. And then, you know, she has a moment of complete confidence before it's completely destroyed. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was an interesting story to tell. I think this idea of protection and of um, you know being behind him and then uh, and, and and using him as a shield in a way too. And then once she's vulnerable and exposed, like she's got to defend for herself. Yes. Um, and suddenly that's very scary. Yes. There's that idea that uh, quite often she's confronted by people that she has. I, I grieved in the past and Correct. she goes whoops wasn't me nothing to do with me it was all Mr. J which is partially true partially true but there's, <laughs> there's also a little bit of her taking responsibility for her past mistakes as That's well right, as yeah. things go on the, you have this really uh, fun motif that runs all the way through the film of people turning up and she'll see them and they identify them on screen by their name the and, the, and the grievances as yeah. well uh, there is one particular moment with, with Roman where the grievances are too fast to, to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about, A, that that motif running through the film and also, I guess this is meant for freeze frame. People are going to be looking at that list of grievances and going nuts, aren't they? Oh, wow. I never thought about that. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. I guess I guess the internet will do that. <laughs> oh, the internet will do that. <laughs> <laughs> Believe um. me. It probably already has. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess that is really a spoiler because we haven't, we haven't really revealed that yet in any of the any of the marketing material, but that was always a fun uh, stylistic flourish that I loved. And I think it really speaks to um, the story and the theme of the movie, which is, you know, this idea of protection and can she fend for herself? Um, and so, you know, her past comes back in, to haunt her and much of it deservedly so, I think, mm. um, you know, you can't really get away with tattooing a man in the face. Um, <laughs> you could try. Yeah, and some not so, right? And we so we played around with that. And the Roman one was just really fun and cheeky because he obviously is the main antagonist of the movie. And I think he's an interesting foil for Harley because they're very similar. You know, I think she kind of steals his limelight a little bit. I don't think he <laughs> likes that very much. And, you know, he just, he, she gets under his skin in a way, um, yeah. partially because she doesn't doesn't listen to him. Um, and so, and, and kind of, you know, calls him Romy and all the other grievances. And yeah. so we had a lot of fun with that, you know, just running the gamut and pitching different ideas. And Christina Hodson is so, so, so funny the screenwriter and so she was able to just like come up with a whole list um, and we just picked some of the funnier ones and you know mm. <laughs> played around with it there, there are a couple of interesting lines to walk uh, one with with Roman in that he is very capricious mm-hmm. and uh, he has a real dark side he's, mm-hmm. a, he's got a real psycho trigger edge mm-hmm. you know he's one of those guys and even though he is, I guess meant to be in a way reminiscent of, of Mr. J and that same hair trigger temperament of of making sure that he has he plows his own furrow without simply being a joker standing sure. if you know what i mean yeah absolutely yeah. i mean i think you know i think he's interesting because we sort of uh talk about his background a little bit his family i think he's a guy with a big chip on his shoulder oh, much yeah. to prove yeah. um you know he he's a true narcissist he loves himself 
more than anyone else, um, which we have a lot of fun with as well. It was mm-hmm. really fun putting Ewan's face on everything we possibly could. <laughs> um, and I think what's interesting about him is that his power, in a way, is very manipulative. It's less of a physical threat because he doesn't get his hands dirty, which is represented yes. by the gloves, right? Yes. He always has the gloves on. And Zaz does most of his dirty work. Um, but Roman instead is, it sort of sits above that. And I think, you know, it's, it's sort of personified in that one scene in the Black Mass Club mm. with, with, with the dancing woman yeah. because he's just, that that's his form of um, villainy, I think. It's much more psychological. Making someone else do. Exactly. And it's, it's about power yeah. and it's, you know, it's about in, um, humiliation. And um, he's a smart guy, you know, and I think mm. he's kind of figured out how to um, sit above the more um, like physical acts of violence. And I think that's what differentiates him from the Joker, even though Joker obviously has that, but Joker, you know, is also more than happy to get his hands dirty. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's obviously, it's a wild movie. It's an R-rated movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but were you worried about how people might perceive that scene in the nightclub? And mm-hmm. also maybe the scene where, uh, where Harley is uh, under the influence and is led by that guy and he's going to take her away and, Presumably, sure. do terrible, terrible things to her until Black Canary intervenes. Right. Um, again, were you were you concerned about how people might concern this? It might precede that scene, and in terms mm-hmm. of Harley's power within that scene and mm-hmm. her agency within that scene. Totally. I mean, that we thought a lot about that, obviously, yeah. and um, I think what the approach was really like it's important because. Um, because we haven't seen it on screen in that way, and we, we try to be subtle at least with it and, and hint at it and never get too grotesque with it. Um, you know, we, we purposely cut away, um, you know, from, from the woman once, once mm-hmm. her dress is off. And, and I think that, you know, as a female director taking that on, I think it actually was very interesting for me, uh, those scenes, because mm-hmm. um, I felt like, you know, it was talking about something like that, that scene between Roman and the woman in the club, it's much more about Roman than it is about the woman. And what I had told you, and as we were talking about it, it was like, this just happened to be what you asked her to do, but you could also ask her to do something else, you yeah. know? And it's not less about what it is that he gets her to do, it's more that he gets her to do it yeah. in front of all these people. And he's not getting anything sexual from it. No, I don't think so at all. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I really don't think at the moment that it's much about sex. I yeah. think it's much more about humiliation and power. And you know, and then with Harley, I think that scene in the alleyway, it is about you know there are some really grimy guys out there, <laughs> and and that you know as soon as she finds herself really really vulnerable, and it's about women helping each other out. Yeah. And um, you know, and even someone like Harley can get herself in some really. Really, really sticky situations. Absolutely, you begin. You, you worry for her as well because she keeps saying I'm in control, but she's clearly not. She's clearly not. <laughs> she's yep. very gone at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really interesting scene as well. But that that leads back to the line I was talking about. There's a line with Roman as well, but there's also a line with Harley mm-hmm. in that again, this is you know following you know she is embedded and entwined with the Joker. She is an antihero, if you will, but mm-hmm. a lot of people would think of her as a villain. Mm-hmm. And so you, again, you have to walk that line mm-hmm. where. You know, how far can you push what she does morally and ethically and still get the audience on her side? Mm-hmm. Uh, which leads me to the scene where she beats up a bunch of guys whilst high on cocaine, which yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen anything like that since Scarface. It ended, <laughs> it ended badly for him, but that's a really fun idea. And is that is that something that comes from that from that line, from having to, to walk the line? She's hardly queen. She has to do some 
fucked up shit. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's that was what was so fun about the film is like she's capable of so much and therefore we kind of just pushed it too and mm-hmm. when you put when you set an action sequence in a, a in um, in an evidence room, it's 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 really fun because <laughs> yeah. you can just come up with so much stuff, and we had so many different ideas. Um, you know, at one point, I, uh, I, and this is a little um, spoiler for you, but or more of a, like a little nugget um, mm-hmm. is that Christina Hodson wanted like a giant double and a dildo as well that she would like fend <laughs> off um, yeah so there are like other even crazier more ridiculous ideas I wanted her to like you know have a, a big fluffy bear that like o- opens and then there's like drugs in there that she's using as a pillow to fight um, and like a defense so there's all these things um, you know we had to like show some sort of restraint um, why <laughs> why show restraint <laughs> it just it, it felt it was so nice actually to be able to do this because you know it's a cheeky movie. It's fun. It's it's unabashedly so. It's very unapologetic. It's part of the spirit. And you bring up Scarface, and I think that's really interesting because there's been such a long cinematic history of male antiheroes or yeah. pure villains, you know, um, like Scarface, Taxi Driver, uh, like... And you name it, and they're so fascinating, and they're compelling characters, not because you like them, but because you like watching them, and they're they're just complicated characters, and it, there hasn't been as long of a history of women doing that, yeah. and I think, t- you know, I don't maybe it's the burden or the resp- the feeling of responsibility to portray women in a certain way, but I actually loved how fucked up she was, and how <laughs> fucked up a lot of these situations were, because frankly, like. Women are like that too, yeah. you know, and I think they can be equally compelling characters, um, even if they're not always um, good. With uh, with Harley Quinn, there's a there's a great episode of The Simpsons where at the end, Marge says to Homer, "Have you learned something from the you know from the our escapades?" And he goes, "Marge, my dear, I haven't learned a thing." And so is there a little yeah. bit is there a little bit of that with movies like this mm-hmm. in that you have to have you have to push your protagonist on a little bit, you have mm-hmm. to have them grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, by exposing her to you know to everybody else, you know Cassandra Kane and Renee. It, totally, she grows a little bit, but at the same time, at the end of the movie, she has the, almost referred to the mean. In Absolutely, a way. Yeah. she steals a car, gets out of there, and exactly, exactly. <laughs> and just has a kid with her now. <laughs> yeah, and I love that. That was in this, you know, that was always in the script, and I love that because I just. It was. It just felt right, you know. It wasn't the classic Hollywood ending, and that's not. A, that's not the ending for Harley Quinn. She has to still be Harley. <laughs> yes, and it, also in this movie, she narrates the movie. Mm-hmm. She breaks the fourth wall mm-hmm. numerous times as well. Where did that idea come from? Was that was that something that was always in the script from the mm-hmm. off? And again, are you you know, Deadpool does things like that. So mm-hmm. are you worried about? people making comparisons like I've just have sure I mean I'm sure the comparisons will inevitably exist but we were Mm. actually more inspired by the comics and the way that and her attitude and the way that she breaks the fourth wall and just kind of talks to the reader especially in the new 52 version of Mm. Harley Quinn Um, and so it's it just kind of happened that you know she breaks the she breaks the fourth wall, as does Deadpool, and they kind of have a similar sense of humor. But when Margot pitched the, the idea of the movie, which is an R-rated girl game movie, with that kind of sardonic sense of humor, mm-hmm. it was before Deadpool even came out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, screw you, Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that. You yeah. can. <laughs> um, just one last question about the fantabulous emancipation. We do get a glimpse at one point of Mr. J from behind. Mm-hmm. Who is playing Mr. J at that point? 
Mr. J from behind. What what part exactly? There's a scene. They're they're. I think they're tattooing the guy's face. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And I we see about that. and yeah. we see him. We see just we a glimpse of the green hair. Yep. Exactly. Is that is that is that the key grip who's <laughs> made up for the it day? It was not Jared. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm guessing otherwise he would have turned around and looked at the camera yeah. and now going to pay me. <laughs> that's, that's how that would have worked. Exactly. I don't, we couldn't afford Jared. <laughs> of course. Uh, so who was that? Was that just, uh, was that just a guy? It was a just guy. A yeah. guy? <laughs> yeah. Just a guy off the street? Well, okay. Might be me. Who knows? Um, you also mentioned that, that Margot obviously pitched this uh, and it is uh, ultimately about the birds of prey coming together. Mm-hmm. And you delay that until the last 10, 15 minutes or so. It's about setting them up and... Mm-hmm setting up the individual characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about that decision? Was, 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 again, whether iterations of the script where the, the Birds of Prey came together earlier in the film. Right. I, yeah, I mean, I think we have always thought about, about it as an origin story, mm-hmm. in a way. And um, by the time I sort of came onto the project, that was always the script that I read. And I love that, because I think that it was more about, I think, what we, what, what, what Margot and Christina especially, and then what I loved about the script and the, I, the concept was um, less like we're going to do a team up movie and um, they're just going to kick some ass, mm-hmm. but more about this theme of emancipation. Yep. You know, and so we're using Harley's emancipation and perhaps initially everyone thinks it's just, I mean, so clearly in the title of the movie, that it, <laughs> there's going to be some form of emancipation that happens with Harley. Yep. But I think what's kind of interesting is through Harley's eyes and through her story, you understand that all the women go through that. Mm-hmm. And and if that's the real story, it did, it did feel like we had to stay with them earlier. You know, we had to get to them when they're weak, when they're, when they haven't been emancipated yet, when they're mm-hmm. still stuck in the system and they're frustrated or they're beaten down or... They're giving the, the, you know, they don't believe in themselves yet. Um, all of these women um, aren't quite who they could be and the potential yeah. of who they are, including the superhero versions of themselves. So that's why it, I like that. I liked um, that origin story element of the movie, and it might catch a lot of people by surprise yeah. because it's not really we, we've said it as much. It's an origin story, but I don't know if people really understand that. Um, but hopefully, the idea is that like it becomes both very surprising yet inevitable when they come together and there's something very hopefully satisfying about it when they do because you now understand and can relate to these women individually as as people as separate people as people yeah. before they become the full huntress or the full black canary or the full renee montoya you know you yeah. get to see them as vulnerable women first and of course uh, they really come together for the first time uh, <laughs> to kill Victor Saz. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm, I'm still thinking about Harley Quinn stabbing him afterwards right. with, the, uh, with the with the hypodermic needle I do after love he's that. clearly very very dead at that point. Can you talk about that coming together to to kill that character? And again, that's a that's not a major Batman character, but you know, mm-hmm. but still a, a, a fairly significant one. Were the conversations about bumping him off, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I still remember in the script, like Christina had this great line in the script where she's taking the, the, the needle and she's stabbing him and she's like, and he will die by a thousand paper cuts, that motherfucker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we really went for it. Um, I think, you know, I think he, the idea was that it would be very cathartic at that moment um, and hopefully it, it could be funny too. Um, and we actually joked around with having all, every single one of them like kick him at least once, uh, <laughs> you know, and he, since he, he he's kind of like the guy who does you know does Roman's bidding, but also the guy who gets kind of like 
in the, in the mud, if yeah. you will, um, gets his hands dirty, it did feel right to just kill him off. I mean, he fucking deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, good point. As does Roman, in fact. Yeah, oh, oh yes. Yeah. And he yeah. goes He goes in a very, very interesting way. Uh, <laughs> I think it's fairly emphatic. He's not coming back from this one. That's yeah, that's that's the first thing Ewan said, too. He's like, oh, well. <laughs> no sequel for me. Yeah, that's well, pretty much it. there could always be a way, you know. Yeah. Again, can you talk about, about dispatching Roman and uh, in that manner and having Harley be the one to uh, to do it? Yeah, I think it was important for us to... Because as much as the movie is about the birds of prey, it's also about the central relationship between Harley and Cass. And, you mm. know, um, it's I've said this quite a lot, but I think it's also a movie about Harley's soul and her saving her soul, um, or at least a little bit of it. Um, and that's why she has these moments with Cass after she sells Cass out, where she's like, you know, you made me want to be a slightly better person. <laughs> <laughs> and it was important, um, I think, for all of us to have a a bit of an emotional connection uh, between Harley and Cass at the end of the movie, and also that she goes out of her way to try to redeem herself and redeem her soul and redeem herself, especially in the eyes of Cass after she sells Cass out, you know, the yes. first time. And so, like all of that thereafter, you know, everything in the funhouse, the 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 crazy, um, you know, skate chase, um, all the way into the end of the pier. Um, is is that and the pier? I t- I took a lot of references from like the ending of Heat, you know, where it's just really quiet and it's gonna cat, cat and mouse game, and then. Um I really love the idea of flipping that, and you think it's going to be Harley that saves the day, but it's really Cass. Yeah, you know, and and it's it's always it's always been suggested throughout how good of a pickpocket she is yeah. and how smart she is. Yeah. and so I, I've always liked the idea that like the teamwork between them ultimately takes down Roman, um, unexpectedly so, and that we get a moment of connection between Harley and Cass because yeah. that was always really important, and hopefully that's satisfying. Uh, it'd be amazing if you'd really echoed hate and had uh, and had you and say, "Told you, I'm not going back." That's just, true. And then, just as he's ripped apart by a hand grenade, that'd have been that would have been very interesting indeed. Uh, Kathy, we've only got a couple of minutes left, so I'm going to do kind of kind of a, a speed round, if okay. you will. Uh, so, uh, Black Canary's power, her display of power, mm-hmm. uh, is is really interesting. And again, can you talk about embedding that in the film and seeding that through the film, so sure. that when it when it comes, it's not as a, a, a surprise. Right. Well, I. I, I've always loved that it's grounded in her own arc of finding her voice, so it becomes a metaphorical version of finding her voice. And um, yeah, so we, we try to seed it in in different ways. I mean, obviously, when she hits a high note and the glass breaks yeah. at uh, the Black Mass Club, hopefully for those who are fans, um, that will you know that will be a great hint right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then of course that scene between her and Renee um, at her apartment in her apartment building, and, and we kind of go into the backstory of her mother mm-hmm. and this idea that she's just so terrified of what happened to her mother, and that you know she's terrified of the power that she has. And I think metaphorically again that that says a lot about. I think I think I can relate to that. I think a lot of women can or men, right? This idea of like you don't even know what you're capable yeah. of, and it's like perhaps she's just never been placed in a position where she can even um, really, really like do it. Yeah. Um, and so Journey and I talked a lot about this idea of um, you know kind of grounding it in a reality because much of the movie is otherwise like somewhat grounded. <laughs> um, and so this this the mama bear phenomenon, yeah, right? Yeah, like when yeah. you actually yeah. hear women who can like lift cars to rescue their baby or whatever it is and there's just like the right, you know, the the adrenaline and and like w- 
humans can almost take on this metaphysical, meta-human um, nature for a little bit if they care enough, if there's enough rage or enough um, tension or you know fight or flight, all of that. And so that's what we really talked about when it came to the final canary cry yeah. and ramping up the tension so she has to do it. Yeah. And when she does do it, there's obviously repercussions. Like she she faints and she passes out right after. So it's not something where where she can just like you know <laughs> control and <laughs> and do it whenever she wants. Sweep in to save the day. Exactly. Yeah, that kind of thing. Exactly. Uh, Roman and Victor are they a couple? <laughs> um. It is. It's more complicated than that. I think. Yeah, I'm not going to label anybody. It feels a bit one-sided to me, Victor to, to Roman. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think Roman is Roman. Just it's most focused on himself and power and everything. You know that we had discussed about. You know, I think his big um, his, his big threat is much more of um, a psychological one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we try to keep keep his character about that in a way. Indeed. And then really quick, uh, Bruce the hyena. Can mm-hmm. you talk about, about him and uh, the name of the hyena and the significance of that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it was just a cheeky, fun little nod to, um, to the world. And mm-hmm. I think in... You know, Carly definitely has a little bit of like this flirtatious relationship, I think, with Bruce Wayne and Batman um, all the way back to like the animated series, you know. So I think it was a nice acknowledgement of that. Um, And we had so much fun with Bruce. I mean, he was he was he's he's an amazing VFX creature. (laughs) Um, And we learned very quickly that hyenas, a live hyena would be literally the worst animal to to have on set. So, um, oh, yeah, yeah, that was quickly shot down. It rips people's faces off. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You're not going to get through the film. So we had a very, very friendly German shepherd called Varko that um, took his place. So uh, is is that a hint that uh, Harley Quinn might know Batman's real identity? I think she's oblivious, and that's what makes it so freaking funny. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Kathy Ann has been an absolute pleasure. The director of Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. I did it again. Yay! Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cheers. <laughs> All right, so that was Kathy Ann, who was a lot of fun, uh, and I think reflects in many ways the film, which is a lot of fun. I've seen Birds of Prey now twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed it the first time around. It clicked for me a lot more, I think, second time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw it yesterday, and uh, it is—it's good. It's you know—it's—it's it's got problems, but it's—it's it's decent stuff, and I don't think it quite deserves the kicking it's been getting. Yeah, it's, the kicking is out of proportion, especially if you compare the the coverage of this with something like Ford versus Ferrari, which is another, I think, R-rated film made for around the same budget that had around the same opening weekend, and that was reported as a massive success, and this was mm-hmm. reported as a massive failure. I mean, this is an R-rated. DC movie. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. perhaps not fair to compare it to Aquaman or something like that. True. But of course, the most direct comparison for this movie is going to be Suicide Squad, which was also an R-rated movie mm. you know, yes, starring Harley Quinn and was huge. For, for reasons that pass for reasons, But the other this is thing a much is, film. I mean, I think what you also get is the fact that that film has curdled in the public memory has then affected this this one. And also the fact that last weekend nobody was particularly excited to go see anything but the Oscars, really. At the cinema. Anyway, I'm making excuses, but I do think the coverage <laughs> has been a little bit disproportionate. People sort of writing it off before, you know, well, immediately. But I really enjoyed it. I think it's got some issues, but generally speaking, I think it swings for the fences. It takes some big risks and it does something very different than we've seen before and we're always saying we want that so we have to kind of support these kind of true more original films when they come true although, although I you know will say and I did bring it up with Kathy Ann mm. I think it's very Deadpool-y as well so there's I'm not sure how 
100% original it is, but... I didn't say 100%, but, anyway. but no. yeah. yeah. 67. Should we go with 67? <laughs> 53% original. Amon, you really like this film, don't you? I really, really liked it. And to your point about the freshness, this is a genre where we need all the, all the novelty we can get. Mm. And in a number of ways, it felt like we got that with this movie. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. I had a real blast with it. And yeah, I, I underestimated this movie. I went into it. Not that I wasn't sort of super hyped to see it, but there, were there was definitely a level to it. And I think that was partially Suicide Squad. Uh, I've never been fully in love with the Harley Quinn character, but I, I really, really enjoyed this one. Mm. Um, really creative in a number of surprising ways. And uh, yeah, I've seen it twice. I'm happy to see it again. So first things first, we've got a whole bunch of questions to get through as well, but let's talk about the film as, as much as we can. So first things first, it's an R-rated film. Mm-hmm. Does it need to be an R-rated film? Because I, anecdotally, I've heard of people who wanted to bring their kids to it and they didn't know it was R-rated and they just assumed that movies like this, unless it's really heavily trumpeted like mm-hmm. a Joker or a Deadpool, are not going to be R-rated, they're not going to be uber violent, they're not going to be uber sweary. And obviously, I think that's fine to an extent, but when I was watching the film yesterday, I was going... There's the odd bit of graphic violence, obviously the way Black Mass dies at the end, sorry, I'm going to call him just Roman Sionis, uh, the way Roman dies at the end uh, is obviously pretty graphic, there's lots of swearing and stuff, but I think what he large, does at I the beginning is the graphic bit. You could get away the, with his death. With the faces. Yeah. But that's even, that even then, the club, you can, you can cut... Is, yeah, the scene in the club's really disturbing. That's true, but yeah. you can cut around that stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything else. If you took the swearing out, I don't think... I think it's a PG-13 movie and, and it's yeah. punky spirit. So did the R rating, did it A, need to happen and B, did it in a way, listen, the movie's not dead yet. Mm. It might pick up over the weeks to come. But did it, in fact, harm his chances at the box office? I think uh, I don't. I think you're right. I don't think it needed to be R rated. I think it maybe gave them a bit more freedom to operate with, um, which is presumably why they why they went for it but I mm. I don't th- I think you're right I don't think it actually needed it in this case um, having said that I did kind of enjoy some of the swearing especially in that song towards the end the motherfucker yeah. song I yeah. don't know I'm easily amused I, I enjoyed uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, in the third scene she has in the movie <laughs> at the end when uh, she's about to go they call me Huntress and Rosa <laughs> Perez recognise her and she goes says something like oh for fuck's sake you know <laughs> she's very funny in that moment yeah, yeah, but that could have been the one F bomb, you know. That could have been mm-hmm. that could have been it. Yeah, no, I agree on the whole. But I will. One of the things I was you know, going to go on to say is that this feels like she infused a lot of her vision in the movie, and if that's if she if she thought she needed an R rated to the film to do that, then I'm all for it. I mean, I think you do. If you lost that really disturbing scene in the nightclub, which I think honestly you might have to do for PG thirteen, even though there isn't much nudity in it because it's. It's just really it yeah. messes with your head. You would lose something. You would lose maybe the film's best illustration of his absolute misogyny, um, which might be uh, damaging. And I do think that the again the, the the edge of sadism that she gives him at the beginning with the face thing then does colour all of his scenes after that. So maybe you lose that as well. I mean, maybe you don't need to see it. I don't know. But I think uh, there is an argument to make. And then the other problem is Mm. if you did go for a PG-13, what I think you would have had, given that this did start life as a Suicide Squad Mm spinoff, I think what you would have had is a huge fan backlash of people going, oh, you're watering it down because it's, it's for not, girls. Yeah, it's blah, not blah, blah. It's not ri- Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think there was potentially a massive public relations risk 
in actually taking this down to the PG-13 and not using that latitude. But it almost feels like, because I presume James Gunn's The Suicide Squad is going to be R-rated as mm. well. I don't know whether that's been confirmed, but you so. just assume. So. You don't think it is? I don't think it's been confirmed. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. But I'm just assuming that it mm. is. Yeah. It's interesting because Hartley Quinn obviously started off in the animated Batman show. Yeah. And so for that character who, you know, I guess you could listen, you know, yeah, yeah. yes, it's a cartoon, but what she and the Joker does is as R-rated as, as, as it comes. But these are characters essentially from the comic books and from the from the TV shows aren't necessarily R-rated, so don't well, apply that to them. Here's the thing, and it's not necessarily something which I like, but there's been the Harley Quinn movie, animated movie, uh, which has been very, very sweary. There's a, there's a Harley Quinn to the cartoon currently playing now, which is extremely sweary also. Um, so it's just almost a... You know, if you're mm. growing up with Harley Quinn now, mm. it's you know just accepted as a part of her character. Yeah. Mm. All right, let's move on from this bit because it sounds like we're prudes. <laughs> we're not prudes. Uh, I enjoyed the movie fine. I just wondered if it absolutely needed to be R-rated, really, but maybe that restricted its appeal. Just to the point, the the, the, the nightclub scene it does establish Roman Silas as a real threat. Like it, there's been a sort of the comic goofy side of him that we've seen up to that point. Mostly, obviously, it opens with the the face cutting scene. Um, but that that nightclub scene, I, I agree, with you, it does establish him as the real. But you, you need that going into the final act, I think. Mm. But he's always a threat, and he's he always uses Saz, so he's he's yeah. never that physically threatening until that scene. Mm-hmm. Right, and that scene, I found I found it really disturbing to watch that scene. I thought it was a very interesting thing. We you know, I talked to Kathy Ann about that, and also about the scene where Harley Quinn is blind, drunk, and being about to be abducted by that guy, mm. uh, and she's not in control of that situation at all, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, what's your take on that scene? I mean, you've talked about it a little bit, but it, you know, it, it shining a light on Roman's misogyny. Yeah, because I think that that is something that Jan brings out quite well. That he's not just evil and bad, like. Mm your average comic book villain like he is specifically misogynist and specifically hates women which is important given these heroines and I think that is something that you kind of need to establish and you don't want to be too on the nose about it but I think she does it in really clever kind of layered building up ways you know from the oh my little bird stuff to which is demeaning and patronizing and, and kind of gross but not as immediately threatening as then what what he does in that scene and and like he doesn't pull a gun he doesn't you know he doesn't do anything physical actually nope. he just stands there and it's tells power, people yeah. to yeah. do it and they do it and that is i think an incredibly effective way of portraying the 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 influence he actually has mm-hmm. what do you think about that scene in terms of overtones of sexual violence or mm. or what he's getting from that. Rape and sexual assault is about power, of course power is, rather yeah. than sex. So that kind or, of tracks. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is you then have Canary in the background. Mm-hmm. And if you look at her face during that scene, it's clear She's appalled, yeah. how di- no, disturbed yeah. and yeah. freaked out and just scared she is. I think that is also what sells it. Roman's an interesting character also in that... I know someone who saw this before I did, mm-hmm. and they said, oh, he's basically just the Joker. He's basically just, basically, he's like a, a diet version of the Joker. I get that to an extent, but I thought there was something interesting about him. Um, as Kathy Ann has said, mm-hmm. he's he basically is gay. So that's an interesting wrinkle as well. Does that bring anything new to the character? What does that bring to him? 
Well, I think that there is a... I mean, yeah, he and Zaz have, like, mad chemistry. (laughs) I think it's one-sided. I think it's one-sided. Do you? I think it's absolutely one-sided. Well, you think it's only coming from Zaz? I think it's only coming from Zaz. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't don't think... uh, I don't think Roman displays the slightest bit of interest. You think he's closeted? Or you think no, no, okay. I don't think he's closeted. I just don't think he's interested in Saz in that way. I think I, I, I'm, I'm don't sorry. Think he is. Have you seen Christmas scene in this film? <laughs> I've seen him in other things. He's not attractive in this film, Helen. I'm sorry. I can there's point you to <laughs> quite a lot of chat on Twitter. There's been a number of nasty tweets really? about it. Oh, yes. Is he a thirst oh, trap? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, for, for many people, apparently. I'm feeling my thirst radar is off these days. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I. <laughs> <laughs> this is really disturbing. Anyway, um, I, I didn't get it. I think I think he keeps him around as a as a plaything, as something to control. He maybe uses Saz's infatuation with him for his own ends to control him a little bit more. He's a very controlling guy, but I don't know that his interest in Saz is sexual. I think Saz's interest in him is way sexual, but I don't think it's the I don't think the bridge uh, goes both ways. I think a lot of people in this film go both ways, actually. <laughs> 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 But uh, no, I, 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 there's an air of domesticity almost about their scenes that is just a little bit more. Well, like Eric and Ernie. Yeah, there's a little bit more intimacy there than I think either would acknowledge publicly. Oh, okay. um, but it is. He doesn't seem that bothered when Saz gets killed. No, but that's because he's a fucking psycho. Well, yeah, maybe. You know. Does he know? At any point, well, he doesn't actually got, see it happen. He's got to put two and two together, right? He doesn't get told. There's no point where he sees a body or, or mm. whatever. But mm. uh, he's got to figure it out. Obviously, he's in the midst of running for yeah, his life. He's, at yeah, he's, in, he's busy with other stuff. Maybe yeah. I, th- I think in terms of him being a joker light, I think there is the same uh, potential relationship there to Harley. I think this is the same idea of him using and abusing people. There's the same idea of him being this kind of figure who takes what he wants and doesn't give anything back. But I think with Roman, what the Joker doesn't have is Roman is, in a different way, a mirror to Batman because he's the rich kid who absolutely um, wallows in his privilege and absolutely thinks he's entitled to whatever the fuck he wants in life and um, absolutely uh, is uh, the worst as a result. Um, So I think that was kind of interesting to me in, in that they built that side of him up. I mean, his little tour around his apartment oh, so good. <laughs> is one of the funniest things I've seen in months, but also just so cringeworthy because everybody knows that guy. Yep. Everybody knows that guy. Yep. Um, like the gap year student who's all <laughs> down with the local culture and I, oh my God, it's the most painful thing to watch I've ever seen. If it wasn't for the fact that I've just seen Jim Carrey and Sonic, I would say that Ewan McGregor is having the most fun I've seen than any sort of anybody have in a long, in a long time. It uh, is also hard to hate someone with quite so many fabulous suits. I mean, that blue oh, velvet. His, yeah. Damn, son. Yeah. <laughs> this glasses. <laughs> He's yeah. well, the, the best dressed villain in, in, in a long time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I love that moment where he, you know, he's showing Canary around his apartment. The Ingabi tribe. And he's over pronouncing everything. Oh. And then she's going, it must be beautiful. They go, oh no, they're dirty. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a lot of fun. Not yeah. Joker Light for me. But of course, let's talk about, before we get on to Harley Quinn, who of course is the, uh, the real star of this film, mm-hmm. let's talk about Mr. J or the lack thereof. And the fact that this movie, with its interesting messages and interesting approach to the Joker as well is coming right on the heels of Joker which takes the opposite tact shall we say 
tactfully, mm. as tactfully as we possibly can without Helen <laughs> exploding. I didn't miss the Joker, and I think it's good to have that separation. I think if you'd had the cameo scene, if you'd even had the breakup scene, Again, you know, it's a tendency to suck up all the air in the room. And uh, I think this is a film about her getting free of him. And I don't think you actually need him there to do that. So, yeah, super here for it. True and correct. I completely agree with everything that was just said. That <laughs> <laughs> was a shorter discussion than intended. <laughs> but no, look, I, I think if, you know, if, if you're going to go off and make, make essentially an Elseworld Joker, which they did late last year then that's an Elseworld Joker and it doesn't have anything to do with this one. Um, and I think what the DC Universe has discovered is that it is too much damn hassle to do an MCU and they're essentially all off doing their own thing now. And I genuinely don't know if we're going to see any more team-ups, particularly for them, certainly in the medium future. Um, because, you know, there doesn't seem to be any sign that Aquaman 2 is coordinating with Black yeah. Adam or anything else you know it yeah. doesn't sound like these films are tying up Wonder Woman 84 obviously it's the wrong time period for anything else we assume yeah. Um, the, so yeah I don't I don't see much in the way of crossovers being planned the only way I'd be upset at the lack of Joker in this movie is if you know Joker wasn't the worst live action Joker we've seen in movies but yeah no one no one's clamoring for Jared Leto nobody's clamoring for Jared Leto so you know, if it was like a you know a Heath Ledger sort of Joker performance to be got in Suicide Squad, then maybe I'd be more intrigued about seeing that on screen again. But that was not what we got. Mm. Yeah, you're right though, because then uh, it is a Harley Quinn movie, and yeah. uh, which is why the title intrigues me. You know, because it's quite clearly not a Birds of Prey movie until the until last the very end. two minutes yeah. or yeah. so, and even then, she's not in the Birds of Prey. She ends the movie still off doing her own thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a Harley Quinn movie that just happens to have well, some of the other characters it in is, it. It is, but uh, you know, it's, it's a weird mix, isn't it? And I think this is where a lot of the criticism of the film has come from, is that it is primarily, I think, a Harley Quinn movie. I think the, the, if, the, if, it is, if the reports are right, the new US title is probably more accurate, if anything. Yeah. But it is one that actually does devote quite a lot of time to the other women and does devote a lot of time to the ways in which their stories intersect and uh, the reasons they all have, the separate and very different reasons they all have to need to fight Roman. So I think that made for a lot of the criticism of the movie because it's not a neat piece of storytelling mm-hmm. and it's not a, a, you know, a traditional three-act structure, obviously, and it's, it's, it's odd, and especially for the first kind of one-third to a half with the, the storytelling in the hands of Harley Quinn and her you know, completely fractured narrative, it is quite hard to kind of follow what's going on to keep track of who's who and what's what and when exactly this happened compared to that. So I do sympathise with those who had problems with it as a result. Um, and I think the it does work. I think it does work. But I can see why it feels weird and discombobulating to people. And, and I think part of that is deliberate. Mm. Um, you may not choose to like it, but I don't think it's an accident. Yeah, no, that's, that's but it why. Has, yeah, but it has messed people up. And, and But it, is, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make for neatness just because you have you know, essentially... The, you know, Harley Quinn and then immediately these three or four co-leads. Mm. Yeah, no, that's why I'm, I'm choosing to give it a, a lot of leeway in that regard because that, that is exactly how, this is exactly how Harley would tell the story. And on second time watching it, it really sort of gelled more for me because I knew what was coming. I agree, when you watch it for the first yeah. time, the first third yeah. is a bit unwieldy. Yeah. Uh, but once it clicks, it really, really clicks. And that moment where they're all teaming up and the score is doing what it's doing, and the choreography is being as creative as it's being, 
it really, really worked. And, you know, you add in the small sort of really awesome moments like uh, the the hair clip in the final fight. Um, mm. And, yeah, it just really, really gelled. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. it. The problem is that uh, sometimes... I think Canary doesn't feel like an afterthought in the movie. Mm. She gets a lot yeah. of stuff to do. She gets, you know, she, and Journey Smollett Bell is she's a fantastic. Phenomenal. Oh my god! Yep. And I, also has a great suit. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a if you don't know now you know performance right there. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I didn't know, and now I do know. <laughs> um, very much so. And uh, yeah, she's ter- she's terrific. And. Um, yeah, I think, I think Huntress Mary... and Rene Montoya maybe get a little bit less yes. to do. Cassandra Kane is interesting because she is a very different character to the comics. And uh, Gail Simone, who is one of the comic book writers who's written a lot about Bird of, Birds of oh, she's written a lot of Birds of Prey, mm-hmm. and she's a phenomenal, phenomenal writer, actually said this was kind of her one issue with the movie you know there's stuff she wouldn't have done and there's stuff that's different from the stuff she wrote of course but the one issue she really kind of stumbled on was Cassandra Kane being different so Cassandra Kane, for those who don't know mm-hmm. is one of the Batgirls in the comics um, apparently my sister tells me canonically Bruce Wayne's favourite child I'm not sure canonically. I that I think Dick is Bruce Wayne's favourite child Canonically, I'm telling you. Apparently, this is somewhere. Uh, real, let's have words. How, anyway, how, how we uh, how we how are we defining child here as, uh, as any any of the the bat children? So right. not not just not literally sired himself. Not literally okay. Damon Wayne, but okay. also you know uh, Dick Grayson, uh, Jason Todd, uh, Alexander Kane, Tim Drake. Who no. am I forgetting? Another Batgirl? I mean, Barbara Gordon, maybe not really. No, not no. Um, um, anyway. But yeah, there's a bunch of them. Okay, gotcha. he, he picks up orphans like yeah. uh, in ways that normal people should not do. Yeah, <laughs> just saying. Just saying. I'm just, just saying. saying. Anyway, yeah. so she's she's a very 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 different character here than mm-hmm. in the comics, and of course she's still young, and there's room to kind of twist her around maybe. But it's I, it's I odd. I, I have a hard time thinking that the, the Cassandra Kane we see in this movie will ever be that Cassandra Kane. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, Girl Simone, big fan, and there was a very fair and astute thread, which I agree with. It would have been simpler if they changed the name to somebody else. Uh, but with all that said, I really do uh, enjoy the Cassandra Kane in this movie. Yeah, she she's has, really fun. She has great chemistry with Harley, and I really enjoyed them bonding. It was, it was good to see. Mm. And it's nice that all of them had that kind of relationship, well, maybe not Huntress, but they all had this little moment of connection with her and we're kind of looking yeah. out for her before with Cassandra Kane. with Cassandra yeah, yeah before anything and again that on. comes through so well in that final fight scene mm. um, you know the, the small moments like the, the gifting of the car to Cassandra Kane, and yeah I'm going <laughs> to I'm just going to call her Cassandra now um, but <laughs> I keep saying Cassandra Kane for some reason we know who she is um, but yeah uh, I really really like that um, and even in the sort of one of the final scenes when they're all in the restaurant um, just you know talking to each other, sharing a meal, that sort of thing. It really comes through that sort of female friendship. And I love that this film, it's got a lot of sort of girl power moments, but it has it without it being cloying. Yeah, not like like the recent Charlie's Angels. Like if I was 11, the girl power stuff in that might have hit home for me. But as it was, mm. I was a bit like, oh my God, I, I was rolling my eyes out at Chris. Me, 
It was yep. so OTT. Mm. I think Whereas, you say the same thing about Captain Marvel. There's there's some scenes in that. Some which is a bit, scenes, yeah. yeah, yeah. But but this one I think handled that stuff better, just because they're very different women with very different priorities, and it's the priorities that take priority rather than you know yeah. making any grand. It's not about making a stand. Gestures. It's not the yeah. you know, I, I I I hesitate to uh, to speak ill of Avengers Endgame. But <laughs> you know you know that moment, that moment, the moment we all we, we all know the moment. Is, Friday so, the 14th of February so 2020 jaded, the time is 12.27 and Chris Hewitt has turned another sporter special into an Avengers Endgame sporter special that's what I've done because now this is an Avengers Endgame sporter special I mean what's going on we should talk how, about portals how are they all in the same place at the same time where are all the men are there no men that's nearby? what I was saying where are the men to sort this shit out and why are none of the women fighting alongside them like it doesn't uh. that's what I was saying about Birds of Prey as well I was watching it I was enjoying it but I was thinking you know what guys where are the men to sort this out? <laughs> anyway, thanks for that, Chris. Um, but actually, I really enjoyed... Um, what's the, there was another movie recently where every single man in the movie was an absolute shitbag, an ineffectual douchebag. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, Hustlers. Hustlers. Oh, yeah. So, like, there's not a single decent bloke in that movie at all. And this film... Every man is a shithead. Yeah. Every single one. And apart from Sal, yeah. who yeah. makes the best bacon and egg sandwich in town. Otherwise, everyone either betrays Harley Quinn or yeah. they're out yeah. to sleep with her or to kill her or to do both. Uh, it, the order is yet to be determined. And it's it's just... We've had a shot, and quite frankly, you, you know, threw it away. It would have been nice, maybe, to have a guy who wasn't a complete shitbag, but I'm I'm fine with it. I'm okay. It made it you made me laugh. The cook. What do you more do you need? That's the same. Sal, yeah, Sal exactly. the cook. You've but got he, that one you know, guy. You know, but uh, I did say to Kathy Ann, uh, I said, "Incels are going to love this film. They're going to be <laughs> they're going to be all over this film." And uh, and uh, sadly, Look, that, turned, is, that turned out to be prophetic. This is not even the worst collection of men you're going to see in a film this year. I'll be honest. Um, isn't? No, it isn't. Um, oh, that's we'll, exciting. We'll speak more of that one day soon. Yeah. I, I'm just saying. I've seen another film recently that literally made me want to burn men to the ground and start over. But that's where you start every day, Helen, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I like men. Hey, some of my best friends are men. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yes. Anyway, no. But my point is, uh, yeah, you're right. This is this is something that is worth talking about because all the men in this movie are shitheads, and I think that's okay. And Couldn't I have think had a token okay. nice guy. <laughs> a nice guy. <laughs> anyway, I think it's okay um, because it's first of all making a point, uh-huh. um, and I think. Secondly, because it is about the state of mind that Harley Quinn is in yes. after a breakup, which is that all men suck. And that's a legitimate state of mind that may last for a couple of weeks. So that's fine. <laughs> um, and I think also, you know, there have been equivalent films that you guys have made. All right. So don't give me this oh, whole. Hang on. Well, you guys. You guys. Yeah. Well, you guys. What do you like, mean you guys? When I mean you guys, I mean like the male half of the f- species. <laughs> So, so I feel like, you know, if, if we get to make some films sometimes that essentially do this, then so be it. Agreed. Not everything is about us. Sometimes. Oh, my God. <laughs> it should be, though. It, uh-huh. it absolutely should be. Yeah, but it's interesting, though, because uh, René Montoya, for example, mm. is uh, everyone experiences different uh, variations of male shitheads yeah. in this. So pretty much everyone has an interaction with Roman, I think, Although I don't think I don't think Rosie Perez and Hugh McGregor have a scene together in this. I don't think they do. No, until, she's just after him. Yeah, she's just after him. Yeah. There's no personal connection there. But 
Her nemesis is her meat-headed captain, mm-hmm. who is a man who takes the credit for all her stuff and who talks over her frequently. Or she has something, you know, I've been in meetings with you where you have said something. And then <laughs> seconds later, <laughs> a man yeah. will say the same thing. And everyone will go, oh, that's good. You know, I, yeah. Yeah, so I've, I've, I've seen you happened. do that. Yeah. I maybe what? have done that to you. <laughs> wow. uh, but that's that's an interesting, that's a different different shade of... Uh, chauvinism and yeah. oppression. And, and, but it is it is something that I know friends who this has happened to where, you know, you get the blame for all the failures on your team and the man takes credit for all the successes on the team. And I know of several people that has happened to. And of course, it's not exclusively a sexism thing. It happens in hierarchical organisations, you know, elsewhere, even if both parties are men or both parties are women, of course. Um, but it does particularly happen in sexist situations and uh, it is particularly sort of prevalent in this kind of case where a man will get sole credit maybe for the work of two people on the team um, as in Rosie Perez's uh, or Rene Montoya's case. Yeah, so that is a real legitimate thing. That is a thing that I think rang true to a lot of people in the audience. I think, again, the creepiness of Roman as a boss to Black Canary, that rang true. Mm. That will have connected with people in the audience. Um, a bad breakup with a toxic boyfriend as as Harley's going through, that's going to connect with people, as will the sort of the drunken pawing that she gets from the yep. grotesque rapist, would-be rapist in the club. Mm-hmm. That's something that's going to connect to people. That's something that's real as well. So the, these are all real experiences that are being obviously heightened and dramatised and all yep. laid at Ian McGregor's door pretty much. Most. I was just thinking, actually, Amon, that Rosie Perez's character uh, has a boss who's quite toxic and takes the credit for everything she does and says. And uh, that's something I think people would see and recognize right away. <laughs> and then you have, oh, hang on, didn't you say this? What oh, did I said something me? like that. Oh, who knows? Who knows? Who was uh, listening to <laughs> I don't know. It's just noise after a while. <laughs> um, let's talk Harley Quinn herself, Marco Robbie. I said this in a live podcast where we did episode 400 Mm. and I said that, uh, you know, I've had problems with some of these DC movies. I think Suicide Squad is just awful, awful beyond beyond measure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she is, four stars in Empire Magazine, (laughs) yes, I know. Uh, She is, I think, along with quite a bit of casting in the MCU, Downey, Mm. Evans, Hemsworth, Ruffalo, Johansson, all maybe maybe not the arrow guy, but yeah. <laughs> you know, some absolutely indelible piece of casting that she as she will always be Harley Quinn. She absolutely gets this character. She gets the capriciousness of the character. She gets the sense of humor of the character. She gets the psychological depths of the character as well. She's fantastic at the physical comedy. She's fantastic at the verbal comedy, at the action stuff. Yeah. She's just terrific, isn't she? Yep. Margot Robbie's been nominated for Bombshell and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this award season. She's better in this movie than she is. <laughs> yeah, she is. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, very yeah. much so, yeah. Um, yeah. And she's just fantastic and absolutely belongs on that same list with Downey, Evans, um, Hemsworth, Jack, Johansson, Jackman. Ruffalo. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're not just listening to Avengers. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> a, you're right, you're a, right. it'll eat up time. It's Friday. <laughs> B, it's a fun game. <laughs> And it's yeah. also like, who don't you say when you do that in the MCU? Who who isn't? <laughs> oh my god, we can't get back into that credit block on Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, this is another Avengers Endgame spoiler special. They are endless. We um, stand, Sebastian. Um, 
mean, said. we do, but we'll talk we, about we, that we, later yeah, in the yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's another time. That's for an Itonia spoiler special. <laughs> well, we'll also be talking about how great Margot Robbie is. But she's terrific. And this is a very different version of Harley Quinn, I would say, than when we saw in, in Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, the, the difference is, I think, uh, female gaze and male gaze, if I'm honest. I mean, I think uh, she's not wearing sequins on her inner thighs, for one, which I can tell you is not where you want sequins. Mm. Uh, she is... Because uh, she, she's still, like... Super duper sexy. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Margot Robbie is crazy hot, right? Is she? You probably hadn't. I hadn't noticed. (laughs) Also, also, I I, I admired Journey Smollett Bell's performance. Also, she and it stopped there because I don't. (laughs) When I look at people on being on the screen, I don't look below their eyebrows. Of course not. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, if you had continued, I can tell you, she also is extraordinarily hot. I am a big fan of forehead acting, and can I just say that Margot Robbie and Journey Smollett Bell's foreheads are. Primo. On point, wow. <laughs> so anyway, my, my point about the male gaze and the female gaze, so you, you all know the theory, I'm not going to go into it, but she is much more sexualized in the way she acts, the way she dresses, the way she speaks in Suicide Squad. She's now, daddy's little monster. Yeah, now some of that may very well be uh, performative for mm-hmm. the men that are around her in order to manipulate the men that are ar- yes. around her because she is also canonically extraordinarily smart. So I think there's there's elements of that potentially going into it and the fact that she's not looking to get with anybody in this scenario and not particularly around men she wants to manipulate means that she's kind of freed up in that sense. But I think also it's it's down to the director and it's down to the way... And the writer she, as well. That's and the writer. We haven't mentioned Christine Hodgson. And yeah. Robbie herself, who yeah. has really taken control of her own career and really, you know, pushing... She's really pushing for really interesting projects and really interesting roles. And I think what you're seeing is a version of Harley Quinn who is still crazy hot, crazy sexy, um... Very, very capricious, very flirtatious, uh, a, a lot with everyone, but also is really, really smart. Also is feeling emotions, uh, like real human emotions, and isn't just a sort of sex object. And I think that's what Kathy uh, and her team, you're right, have brought to this. It's, it's different. It's still very recognisably the same Harley Quinn, but it is a very, very different take on her and a very, very different way of portraying her. Absolutely. I love the fact that her smarts come through. Um, Because um, she is a psychiatrist and that actually sort of comes to bear a couple of times when um, she's talking with Cassandra uh, in in the truck. She knows when Cassandra's lying, when mm. uh, sort of... That, uh, that little bit with, with Huntress. You're, they're right, sweetie. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Revenge <laughs> really, rarely breaks yeah. the emotional catharsis we're hoping for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I, I really like that those beats came through. It was good. Mm. But she's just, she's so great. She can handle all aspects of this character. Um, and she really, like... She made me believe that Margot Robbie, who has probably never eaten a bacon and egg sandwich, <laughs> at least not in the last five years, would crave a bacon and egg sandwich. <laughs> I also loved the um, Daniel Pemberton score at that point. He essentially yes. writes an elegy for a bacon sandwich <laughs> as, it, as it falls to the ground. Yeah. It yeah. does look good. Even with what? the six month out of date American cheese slices. I, American I cheese. I know. Come on, Harley. I know. Were Margot to have been nominated for an Oscar for this, that would be the Oscar clip right there. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the little motif that runs all the way through the film of whenever people appear in her life that she's pissed off with the it's just suddenly freeze frame and the and the name and the grievances um, one thing well it's one of the few things that uh, reminds me of Suicide Squad in that regard a little bit yeah. a little bit 
otherwise, I think this is by and large a movie that kind of lifts up the rug and, and puts Suicide Squad underneath it yeah. and then <laughs> puts the rug back down Suicide again. Suicide Squad, but never it's seen a massive it, Suicide Squad shaped hole, uh, lump, lump in the rug, the rug that yeah. is there and it's noticeable. You know, but there's the reference to, you know, Captain. What's his fucking name? Captain Boomerang. Boomerang yeah. him. I know him. The daddy's yeah, little monster you know, T-shirt. Value. Yeah, yeah. It was all this sort of stuff, but uh, but by and large, it, uh, it 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 strikes out very very nicely on its own, indeed. Very much so. I um, did you notice that the action sequences? The second unit director was Chad Stahelski. Mm-hmm. I did, I did. I liked them a lot. Yes. Seconded or third? Yeah. I mean, yes. I feel like the uh, I was kind of watching that last. Uh, Action scene in the funhouse, and I'm like, why did no? Why don't more a- action sequences take place in funhouses? This is this is an absolute slam dunk. This is yeah. crazy. I it's just, a real crazy show where yeah. anything goes. Yeah, no, show had Pat Sharp. I love how the personalities shine through in the action sequences. I love how it routinely sort of subverts your expectations with the action sequences. Like even with um, the car chase, when uh, Huntress comes through with the bike, you would assume that Harley gets on the bike. Yep. Instead, she gets the, the, I'm not sure what you call it, but she holds on to the bike for a piece of rope. I don't know. But um, that, that, that looked cool. Even with um, the final, final sort of action beat uh, where she's having a showdown with uh, Roman Sionis, uh and she uses up the bullet in the gun. Mm-hmm. You, and, you know, you, they, they'd set that up. You sort of have it in your mind that, okay, that's going to come into play, but it turns out a different way. And I, yeah. I, I like that. I almost wish that it hadn't become public that it was Chad Stahelski mm. doing the second unit. Because what that's done is it's given the whiny little fanboys, uh. the incels, oh, of course, yeah, something yeah. to latch onto. And then they just go, oh, the action scenes in this movie are great. Uh, or the ones that are great are clearly directed by Chad Stahelski mm. and Kathy Ann was nowhere near it. And the conspiracy theorists would go, oh, Chad Stahelski was brought in at the 11th hour because the action either wasn't up to snuff or there wasn't enough. You can maybe feel elements of that maybe being true, but until we know for sure what he did and did not direct, it's very hard to say. But I just, I, I it's, I find it slightly regretful that it was out there. That's like, so you know, yeah, could they not have just maybe said it was the eighty-seven eleven stunt team who were brought in mm-hmm. to do something, and that maybe they didn't have to make a big song and dance the Jazz Stahelski thing? I didn't ask, for example, Kathy Ann. Yeah, I thought yeah. it would be reductive, really, and mm. insulting. What did you direct? What didn't you direct? Is yeah. an insulting question. Well, but also, I mean, everybody has a second unit director Everyone, apart yeah. from maybe Guillermo. But and like, you're right as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And Christopher Nolan. Okay, and a few okay. people don't have second <laughs> unit directors. <laughs> lots of people have second unit yeah. directors, and no one gives them shit for not directing their Precisely. films. So those guys mm. can fuck off. Um, not the directors, but the people saying that she no, didn't that's direct. Funny. But no. also, I think I think if you look at the texture of those action scenes, it's very very clear that she did have a hand because things like the hair tie show that she the did. Hair tie. Yeah, um, the, this is you know um, hardly giving uh, Black Canary a hair tie to get her hair out of her way halfway through an action scene because of course you would. Oh my god! Apparently, um, that was an idea that came from Christina Hodgson's sister. Mm-hmm. That's what I read anyway. But yeah, it just makes sense. You have to have your hair out of your eyes in, in a situation like that, especially when you're spinning in six different directions at once. It's especially good for me as someone who watches only four heads. Of course, it's really important for <laughs> it you, meant Chris. It was more, more forehead than, for me to see. Oh, thank God. I am a bold man, so I not, have no impressions. <laughs> <laughs> not, Chris, that you want to see naked flesh on no, the forehead. I usually. absolutely do not do no. that. No. Four. Mr. Skin, uh, 56 <laughs> minutes, 47 seconds, lingering close up of forehead. <laughs> Can see three quarters of, of the forehead. <laughs> the forehead. <laughs> I, I've read. 
Anyway, but I think that like lots of touches like that and getting Cassandra out of the way and that the way that they actually almost film parts of the fight scene from her perspective is almost like baby Groot thing where they're yeah. trying to protect her from what's yes. going on yes. the whole way through the fight scene. That doesn't feel like something where Chad Stahelski came in and took over. Because yes. um, brilliant as he is, I don't think those beats feel like stuff that he would have introduced out of thin air, you know. Um, what was your favourite action scene? The fun house. The fun house, closely followed by the uh, Harley versus the thugs in the lockup, in mm. the uh, police police station, police station. evidence yeah. room, evidence, yeah, evidence room, evidence room. Yeah, um, yeah, that was yeah. cool. I like that as well. I, 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 it goes on so long, you wonder where all the cops are because there's a lot of gunfire coming yeah, from I there. Did, but, yeah. but it's fine. But it, it also has the first uh, example that I can think of, maybe apart from Scarface where the hero of the film is absolutely off their tits on coke and uh, it it <laughs> serves here as some sort of enhancement rather than an impediment uh, winners don't do drugs kids just say no there's a scene in Deadpool 2 in which Deadpool uses cocaine if memory that's starts. true that's true yeah. oh my yeah. good god that is very very true and just brings back the Deadpool 3 comparisons <laughs> a little bit more. Yeah. But, but, you know, yeah, but this was, uh, but yeah, it, I thought the, the action generally was good. And the, the little chase scene through the market where she stops to pick up a bum bag on the way, that was brilliant. Yes. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it was very cute. I do like a sequin. So. All those little touches. Mm-hmm. Did you like, uh, so going back to the name thing, do you like, uh, for example, when the guy, so one, one of the bits in the film that feels a little bit muddied to me is when they get attacked in Harley's apartment and it's all a bit incoherent and afterwards they lose Bruce the hyena and they're mm. not quite sure of what happened or where that guy even goes because he doesn't he just disappears so that feels a little bit really shooty to me one one of the things that I was asking myself after that scene um, it starts off with the cops at Harley's door yeah we don't really know yeah. where they went when once the department went I guess they got like knocked out by the blast? Uh, that's yeah. yeah. And, or even if they were cops, because it mm. might just yeah. be a ruse to get yeah. her to go to the window where the guy with the the um, uh, Obersheen emoji oh, as yeah. his grievance <laughs> because he doesn't have uh, is firing something at them. That felt a little bit muddied and incoherent to me. But otherwise, I liked all the name grievances stuff mm. and the bit with Roman Sionis where his Can't grievances wait to watch just that on DVD and pause it I was watching a couple of them I was watching it yesterday and trying to yeah. see and remember a couple of them um, she called him Queef Richards <laughs> is one and he pronounced it espresso oh yeah no I thought she pronounced it <laughs> oh his grievance with her is that she pronounced it yeah. espresso okay yeah. yes and then she called him Queef Richards which which made me laugh a lot <laughs> Another, so a couple other things I liked. I liked that it began with an animated prologue because mm-hmm. Harley Quinn began his life was in, in mm. animated series. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if you noticed, by the way, when she's playing rollerball or whatever. Uh, her Roller j- derby, thank you. Thank you, Roller derby. Uh, the, her, her jersey number is 92. Uh, Batman animated series started in 1992. Wow. Well, let me just talk about roller derby for just a hot second. Um, my little sister did some roller derby after getting into it after Whip It. She tells me that you would be instantly suspended for doing any of the <laughs> shit that Harley Quinn did on that on that court. Um, and it's not very realistic. But it also, it doesn't make any sense for her to be whipped because she isn't the right position on the team. Yeah, obviously. So, um, so yeah. So the roller derby to scene was awesome, and it absolutely fits that Harley Quinn would play roller derby. She 100 percent would because it's that sport exactly. Um, but she was going really above and beyond where you're allowed to go 
in roller derby. And by the way, if you have a league near you, it is genuinely the best sport to watch I have ever seen in my oh, life. Really? It's so head and shoulders above all the rest. It's so fast and furious. It's amazing. Ha, huh, fast and furious. <laughs> so Let's go. It's so tokyo and drifty. And, and most of them have numbers and, and team names that are jokes or in-jokes like that. Oh, cool. All right. Okie dokie. Here we go. Time for some listener questions. Woo-woo. All right. So... First question comes from at James Monkton, a man, a man. How dare you? I uh, like men. Generally, I'm a big fan of the film, says James Monkton. A man. A sense of however, I had one moment. I was however, actually. <laughs> Near the end, it took me Excellent. out of it when I considered, why doesn't Batman show up to save this poor girl with a bounty on her head? I admire that this feels like a standalone DC, but do you think they should address Batman's absence the same way that MCU might make a throwaway comment about the Avengers not being around? No. Um, uh, again... Yeah. <sighs> There are too if, many Gotham stories, I feel like, to always explain why Batman isn't there. Yeah. And again, if I'll be asking that question to myself more if the Batman that we've gotten so far in the DCEU was somebody that I <laughs> wanted to, <laughs> wanted to see more of. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And I'm just at peace now with the fact that DC, that they want to sort of go their own way. They want to go sort of, you know, Standalone story after standalone story, and I was okay with you no know, uh, the lack of Batman in this one. And again, you you, you don't need him. This is the Harley Harley Quinn story. Um, you know, Batman's off fighting Joker somewhere. I can believe it. It's I mean, fine. for all of these criminals to even build their criminal empires for Batman to then take down, he has got to be you know busy elsewhere he all takes, the time. He's one yeah. man. He's one man. And he can only work between the hours of, of midnight <laughs> and and 6 a.m. Yeah. At best. And then he has to do his busy playboy, billionaire genius yeah. philanthropist stuff. I feel like that's derivative. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding, DC fans. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, Batman's good. Poor Tony Stark. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, no, but I I do feel like, you know, he's got to be missing whole sections of the city for months at a time in yeah. order for people to build their criminal empires in order for him to then take down gangs of thieves at once. Also, he's, you know, we, we, A, we don't have a Batman at the moment, so I don't think if it, if he'd shown up, it would have been a sort of Bella Lugosi We're situation. On a break. You know, just, just from behind, yeah. like shorter. Slightly dumpier, just some key grip who's throwing a costume on the last minute. Yeah, just go and stand over there, Wayne. It's totally fine. Why's your name Wayne? Oh, this is perfect. Okay, nominative determinism. Go on, <laughs> on you go. Um, that would have been a bit strange. Yeah. I, I, it didn't matter to me at all. Um, although I, I did wonder at one point uh, why, you know, Harley Quinn is just walking around and, you know, Roma Sionis is fairly well known to be a, a bad man. That If I were Bruce Wayne, I'd be checking that out I'd be keeping tabs in that situation on Roman yeah that's yeah. No, that's fair because he would probably know Roman socially yeah um, if I heard Ace is, Chemicals had blown up in such a public manner I'd mm, probably check true. it out that's yeah. true yeah as uh, the Batman probably should have been looking into that maybe he's busy off somewhere with the Justice League yeah. um, also this is all obviously in Gotham's East End which is meant to be like different to like main Gotham Gotham's East End if memory serves that is where Crime Alley is so, yeah. Apparently, that's me. That, 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 Did anything bad yeah. ever happen there? No. <laughs> I mean, what were they expecting? Again, we go back to nominative determinism here. If you're, should, we, should we call this place Crime Alley? I don't know, yep, guys. That's the one. That's the one. What if we just call it Love Boulevard? <laughs> 
And even more people would have died there. Oh my God. If they'd called it Love Boulevard, then the only pearl necklace Mrs. Wayne would have got. Anyway. Stop it. That's... Would be a gift from her husband. Would be a gift from her husband. Although apparently still would have been a fake since it explodes when pulled off her neck. Just saying. Well, Helen. <laughs> at, Tom, <laughs> at Tom underscore Basin. Uh, says this movie hinted that the superhero film I really want to see the mundane lives of a superhero I loved at the start that Jay and Harley live in a simple house and that Harley does shopping which superhero would you like to see a film about what they do in their day off it's not really <laughs> pertaining to this movie but I didn't realise that before I read the question <laughs> um, um, I mean I could be really on brand but I won't <laughs> no Steve Rogers would be really boring on his day off he wouldn't he'd be really Yeah, we kind of saw a little bit of that in uh in the Winter Soldier, he goes for a run. It's so soothing. Then he goes to a meeting of veterans. <laughs> then he listens to some 1940s old-timey yeah, music. Yeah, sits in a cafe and has coffee. I yeah. mean, I'm just saying. Never touches himself below the waist because what? he knows that God is always watching him. <laughs> I was also going to be on brand and say T'Challa. <laughs> I mean, he lives in Wakanda. There's a lot of really cool shit to do in Wakanda, That's I fair. think. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. T'Challa is a good I've, answer. I've, like, I've been saying for literally since 2012, I just want to see like, you know, Thanksgiving at the Avengers house. I just think yeah. it be, just want to see them hanging out. Woodwatch. I want to see, you know, like a, bring back Marvel one shots, you motherfuckers, because yes. quite frankly, you know, hire us to, to write them because we have like <laughs> dozens of ideas. Uh, but yeah, I at least have, I have three ideas. Um, <laughs> like the banner, like a day in the life of banner where he's going around trying desperately not to get angry. <laughs> like and he's always angry. up against yeah. him. I'm still uh, holding out hope that we get a one shot <gasps> with Michael Pena. No, eighteen. Yes. The MCU. Apparently, he did that in a, at a comic con. He did. Yes. Yes. Uh, hey, and also, Paul Rudd. Here's a question: uh, uh, the cloak. That's who we should see. A day in the life cloak. of Doctor Strange's cloak. Oh, the cloak of levitation. Mm. Okay. Very cool. That would right. be very dope. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen Byrne asks, "Why doesn't Harley Quinn have a bomb in her head? Because it was removed." Mm-hmm. I I have no memory of Suicide Squad. I wiped it from my brain, so I don't know if it. But she even says in that sort of when in she's the, in the animated up, she oh, says, she? Okay. saved the world, went back to prison, yeah. got out of prison, blah 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 blah. Yeah, and so, she said, yeah. and she says something about having a bomb. I thought it was around their necks, but maybe bomb around their necks. Yeah, yeah. So those got removed. Mm. At Doctor Horrible. <laughs> During the animated prologue, Harley has a picture of a woman as one of her heartbreakers. Do you think this is an indication that they're going to include a poison ivy romance down the line? And do you think they'd actually follow through and have a major queer storyline for one of their leading characters? I mean, I think if they were going to, it makes sense for it to be Harley. Because, um, you know, that's all there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just thought it was, uh, of course, there would be for her. Yeah, I... I don't know if I have faith for them to do a full-on queer storyline. Like, even in this movie, for as much as sort of, you know, there is queerness in the movie. Well, it's Rene Montoya, yeah. Yeah, it's implied rather than yeah, explicit. Well, they and do I say just, ex-girlfriend. But then nothing yeah. else happens. There's yeah, no, that's true. There's, there's no, there's just no hint of, yeah. There's just, just any number of examples, not limited to superhero franchises, but it happens a lot in mm. superhero franchises of... You know, we have our first never gay character. We have our first gay moment, and it amounts to basically next to nothing. <laughs> yeah, and really, it pisses me off. Like the Dumbledore the, was gay, honest, uh, honest guys. He really was. Yeah, I'm the, telling you, after the fact, after you've read all the books, yeah. he was totally gay. The, 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 the queer baiting is the is most a recent one is the Star Wars Rise of Skywalker one, and that really, really pissed me off because there was a number of big sort of you know outlets, media outlets running with, oh, this is like 
the first big Star Wars moment and having major headlines on it when the film was released. And I'm like, why are we lauding this? This is nothing, absolutely nothing. So I mean, I, right? I will say it's not nothing because some people have found real comfort in it. But okay. I, I will say it's not close to anything you know, substantial or really impactful. Um, and I think what you have is, weird. I've been reading about classic Hollywood recently. Stick with me for a second. <laughs> and in the like oh 19... <laughs> in the like 30s and 40s, um, interracial marriage was legal in, say, California, but it wasn't legal in, say, the Deep South, right? So they wouldn't put any interracial marriage in any Hollywood movies or allow it in Hollywood stars. So Dorothy Dandridge, for example because it would offend people in the South. And that kind of shit means that any one prejudiced area gets to spread their prejudice throughout the whole system. It's the same kind of thing, you know, so even though we may be okay with it here in Hollywood and we totally support everybody's right to do as they wish, we're not going to put it in our films because we don't want to lose a couple of bucks in Georgia. All right, Karina Longworth. (laughs) Here endeth the lesson. Uh, at, listen to uh, you must remember this yes yeah, uh, GNW626 Graham Wright this is by the way I saw this question earlier on guys this is going to blow your fucking minds <laughs> like the neck things in Suicide Squad indeed but better <laughs> what did you make of Harley Quinn's littering throughout the film yeah. as it's yeah. one of my ultimate pet peeves yeah. it really made me dislike her especially at the end when they had a chance to show she changed and she still did it <laughs> very minor issue but it bugged me you know what that's entirely fair it is uh, I think meant to show that she hasn't changed I think it's specifically very intentionally there to show that she is still Harley Quinn I think it is meant to show her anarchic and destructive frankly side and I was also appalled by it and I, I, but I think it's there for a reason. Yeah. Now, I completely agree. And I, just further to that point, it would have been very easy to change the Harley character and have her make more good decisions. And I'm glad that they don't because having her act the way she acts maintains the spirit yeah. of Harley. Yeah. She's not meant to make good yeah. decisions. Exactly. Also, she does a lot worse than literally <laughs> throughout the movie. I mean, sure, yes, but, but let's not yeah. dwell I mean, on the other things. But also, I love the fact that instead of doing that, they've actually gone the other way. They have Cassandra in the car with her wearing essentially the baby version of what Harley has on. Have you yeah. noticed? She uh, literally she has, has drawn... Yeah. She's, she's put on a little sequin on her cheek where oh, Harley has the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, she is sewing patches on her jacket because Harley's got that fantastic blazer. Um, she's got the same sort of little pink plastic sunglasses just a, a lighter kind of baby pink she's like a little Harley clone and it's adorable so she has Harley has not been redeemed if anything her madness is spreading aww <laughs> but yeah if, if, if you take the edges off that character she's not Harley Quinn right mm. and I think in fairness they did take the edge off her no, they didn't make her an outright villain like when she goes into the police station she uses non-lethal methods mm-hmm. generally speaking um, so she's not kind of going yeah. out of her way to cause death and mm. pain um, mm. which puts her slightly mm. one step up from the she likes is, of Roman yeah and she is trying to change I mean she has a, a conversation with Canary where she basically lays out what a Harlequin a Harlequin mm. uh, what their what their function yeah. was and this to serve and she doesn't want to do it anymore yeah. so she's trying to strike out on her own if that means that the new Harlequin is still uh, a little rough around the edges still litter from time to time that's okay mm. that's, a, that's a small price to it's pay. not okay <laughs> Just uh, so the first. It's not point, okay. Sorry. Remind me that that scene where she uses non-lethal weapons against the police. 
the visuals in that sequence are amazing. There's a bit where uh, she sort of bursts through some pink and blue sort of smoke, and mm. it just it really is really striking. Yeah, really it does right. look cool. Yeah, I want a glitter bomb. <laughs> Uh, wow, that question was given a uh, longer shrift than I anticipated. So, uh, uh, all right. At Picket Flicket, is that a reference to littering? What is it? Uh, asks, did anyone else notice that the finale on the pier was like a shit version of Alan Partridge Alpha Papa with more, with more fog and a grenade? <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, I have to say, I did think of you Alpha did. Papa. You set your movie. You set the end of your movie on a pier. It's not Chrome Pier, obviously, uh, but uh, then I will immediately gravitate towards Alpha Papa. That's where I go. Wow. <laughs> hmm. This one didn't have Michael just leaping into the sea. He's never been found. Very sad. Very sad. Uh, at Tim Iredale, nineteen seventy-eight, asks why on earth did Black Canary? use her supersonic voice before and basically always and how did they all seem to know about it well they didn't all know about it Renee knew about it mm-hmm. and she knew her mother so presumably there's a story there which I don't know maybe that's in the comics I'm on that you know not that I can recall okay. um, but, but, but yeah it, it she, obviously exhausts her yeah, like it, she her basically out. faints yeah yeah. so I think that's why she doesn't use it all the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's not far off what Kathy Ann said. Well done. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, at Kieran Lee, 1970, uh, says, if nobody fucks with Harley because everyone is afraid of the Joker, why does Roman's driver make that mistake? Especially as we get, this is my edition, especially when we later learn that he is actually in cahoots with Rene Montoya. Well, that doesn't mean he necessarily knows who Harley is. Not everyone in that club necessarily mm. seems to at that point. Mm. Seems weird. She seems pretty famous. Or, inf- or infamous, infamous, like the, like the infamous <laughs> El Guapo. Like more than famous. <laughs> uh, oh, I miss Three Amigos. Is that, should be, is that worth fixating on the driver thing or not? I will say that there's a lot of leg breaking in this film that is really yes. freaking disturbing. Yeah. That guy and then the guy in the police evidence room. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's nasty. Man. It is pretty nasty. Nah, it's still a couple of, ooh. Nastiest ooh. leg breaks since probably yeah. the raid and before that there's a couple at the end of Blade which just absolutely... There's surely there's a bit, some leg breaking in John Wick. Um, it's not that egregious. There's a, there's a moment in Blade which will always stick with me at the end when he's been attacked by some of the vampire henchmen and this guy... Uh, high kicks at Wesley Snipes who grabs the leg and then just kind of does this flicky motion with it and it just breaks and snaps up and it's it's really fucking cool but at the same time you're going there but for the grace of God go I Um, you know you you want to put a splint in that mate that's going to that's going to smart in the morning that's for sure but then he's a vampire he turns to dust almost immediately afterwards I think or maybe they're all humans who work for the vampires who knows anyway uh, last question from a reader is from at Hendia, Hendia Tetris. What a great name. Hendia Tetris. We've now seen two pretty different takes on Harley Quinn by two pretty different directors with another one, the Suicide Squad squad coming up. Uh, we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but do you think James Gunn will tackle her character? How do you think James Gunn will tackle her character? And do you think there should have been a more consistent approach to her? That would imply a consistent approach to the DCEU from the start, and it's been it's been chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's been an entirely inconsistent approach to the character for the reasons that I've explained. Um, I do hope that uh, Margot Robbie will have a, a really good discussion with James Gunn about the character before S- the Suicide Squad, um, just because... 
I do think there's some male gaze, female gazey stuff going on. And I think because Harley is such a hugely popular character with women that maybe some female gaziness is appropriate and she shouldn't maybe be completely, you know, thinly sexualized, which I think she kind of was uh, certainly in parts of Suicide Squad. Um, so, yeah, so I hope she'll kind of be able to take ownership of the character going forward um, in this way because I think that really paid off this time. Yeah, and I would hope that after this movie, I just, you know, look at where she was in Hollywood and just with the character back in Suicide Squad yeah. and I look at her now having taken control of her career, having been a producer on this movie. I would hope that in the Suicide Squad, uh, the people around her, when it comes to behind the scenes, take notice of that. And actually, her, you know, her voice now should be the loudest of anybody having any say on Harley mm-hmm. Quinn. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, it's going to be almost certainly renamed Harley Quinn, colon, Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> would watch. Well, we'll see uh, well, how this one yeah. does. Well, first, are going yeah. to watch, presumably. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it's a real film, Alman. They've made it. <laughs> um, just one last thing for me: uh, the Deadpool uh, comparisons that I've made a couple of times, mm. and in fact discussed them with Kathy Ann, um, are largely from a result of a Harley Quinn narrating it and b being very self-aware, uh, being very meta, looking at the camera a couple of times as well. But also the the structure of the film itself echoes, I think, mm-hmm. uh, a bit the um, the first Deadpool in particular, yeah. which which starts media res takes you all the way back and then catches up and then there's almost literally a bit where he goes okay now we're all caught up let's get on with the rest of the film and Harley Quinn does pretty much exactly the same thing Yeah. so what did you think of that structure the four minutes earlier the one hour earlier the slingshotting around from character to character thing I, I think it is uh, I think it is hard to follow and I think some people have had real real trouble following it um, and so it was a risk I can absolutely buy into the explanation that it fits Harley because I think it does and I think all the bits kind of work on their own so it just takes you a minute to maybe get them straight in your head but they do make sense I promise. I did find it a little bit discombobulating when she first walks into the police station and then that flashback I think is the one that has thrown most people Yeah Um, Yeah, because she goes immediately from being uh, captured by Roman's guys and that wonderful parlay little mm-hmm. moment she does and then literally the next time we see her is in the police station and you're going what the fuck has just and happened and she here? goes back and refills yeah. Yeah. And fills in that gradually. blank yeah. that, that's, that, that approach to storytelling can be fine mm-hmm. and it can work on its own and the second time around I had less of a problem with it than I did the first time but it can also just be smug and it can also be showy for the sake of being showy. And the way the Six Underground does much the same oh thing. God, Six, Six Underground does the same. <laughs> I think Six Underground does the same four minutes earlier joke as well. You know, I'm going to tell the story. Why I'm going to tell it? And then it mm. flashbacks to four minutes mm. earlier. Yeah. And it's God, that movie. It's just for the sake of it, and there's no reason for it from a narrative point of view. Uh, that that when that happens, it can get bogged down yeah. a little bit. I don't think this one's smug at all, but I do think it's it has thrown some people out of the movie in a way that maybe uh, isn't mm. ideal. So there was maybe a bit a way to tighten up a little bit and, and just make it a bit clearer. Mm. Yeah, but we'll again, know. maybe that wouldn't be Harley. Maybe it wouldn't be Harley. Who knows? We'll never know whether. Uh, you know, I think mm. there are indications from time to time of reshoots and indications from time to time that the uncertainty about whether Roman Sionis is Roman Sionis or Black Mask is that a thing. Mm. Like they introduce him as Black Mask, but he seems to be wearing the, the the mask at the end just so they can call him Black Mask. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't yeah. seem to like trigger a different part of his personality or or anything. But it looks freaking cool. It looks freaking cool, but yeah, 
I want to mention to the one more moment, which yeah. I really like, I've, I've forgotten. Like, I just want to get up in case, in case I forget again. But um, when Zaz dies and then it cuts to Harley Quinn just stabbing him, yes. and stabbing him. Yeah, that was really beautiful. That was really funny. Yeah, oh, I like that. You know, very that was very good. Yeah. All right, let's bring this bad boy home. Favorite bit. Hmm. You can't say Harley Quinn stabbing Saz. I quite enjoyed her blowing up Ace Chemicals um, just because it was really pretty and I like coloured explosions. <laughs> um, and I liked her outfit. Uh, her glittery socks, yeah. fantastic. Um, but uh, but also because it represents a lot and I thought it was, a really, it was a really emphatic way of opening your story and sort of, you know, pinning your colours to the wall. So, yeah. I thought I really liked the opening where she blows up Ace Chemicals because I really like coloured <laughs> explosions. If, if, is that? Yeah. If you not, uh, it's such an original thought, you, Chris. Thank goodness you're thank here. You, Helen. Yeah. Um, Sorry, thank you, Helen's forehead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with the fun house. I just mm. think the way everything, everything really comes together in that sequence in more ways than one. Obviously, you've got the birds of prey coming together for the first time, but the music with Daniel Pemberton, that's probably my favourite moment. Um, the hair clip moment works. It's, it's really, really fun, really, really cool. Um, all the other little moments with Cassandra. Um, Huntress is at her most awesome. We haven't really we still haven't talked about a lot. No, we haven't. Yeah. She's been but in this podcast like, as much as she's in the film. <laughs> she, I mean, I know that she's not in the film as much as many would like, um, but she is almost a stealth MVP. I really, really liked her performance in this. And she is a really fun character. I want to see more. I want to see more of everybody mm. in this film. Um, so yeah. yeah, but but um, yeah, and also the, the 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 fight sequence itself it just feels so creative, and I love what they do. Uh, they they really utilize their their surroundings in really impressive and fun ways. Yeah. So uh, that's my favorite. Agreed. Agreed. That's a that's a good moment. I I genuinely did like Harley Quinn stabbing Saz after he was dead. I just thought it was a it was a fun moment. Um, yeah, the, the the fun house bit's good as well. I like the 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 evidence room throwdown also. Mm. Uh, but mainly it's the the peg and egg sandwich guys. <laughs> see, you can I, see I, why she would she would just go nuts for that. Should we and go egg for sandwich. lunch? I, I think we should go for lunch. I, I can't eat that. I'm allergic oh. to eggs. What? Yep. Eggs, nuts, and fish. I'm allergic to. I had a girlfriend who was allergic to Oh my God, you just told to everybody how to kill you. <laughs> yeah. I should really be carrying around an EpiPen, but I don't for some reason. What the fuck, Amon? Oh my God, Amon. You've just I like living on the edge. You. <laughs> Jesus, anyway, let's go, to, let's go for lunch. Uh, should we go to Fishy Nut Egg House? <laughs> <laughs> that seems inclusive. Let's do it. <laughs> hey, yeah. you, guys, you guys enjoy that. I'm going to Nando's. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, there's no fish, nuts, or egg. It must be egg. Do they not have egg? Nope. Eggy, eggy, I can, I can eggy eat chicken. eggs and like, you know, you know, cake. biscuits and cake. I can eat eggs which are like properly cooked and baked into stuff, but like it turns out scrambled egg or fried egg, I can't eat. Okay. So here's a question. Well, this may be off topic. <laughs> Just a tad. <laughs> can you, so you're allergic to egg, but you're not allergic to chicken, but which came first? Oh. So how, if you're, you know, I have a like you should be allergic to chicken. No. But that black, was an egg. Black people aren't allowed to be allergic to chicken. Just <laughs> <laughs> if, if you were allergic to chicken, there would be a meeting. We're kicking no, you out. I'm on, sorry. Very, very good relationship, me and chicken. We understand each other. Um, well, let's not but, waffle on anymore. Okay. Come on. He, he leaves an open I know, goal. I know, I know. <laughs> Actually, if you've been to Bird near here, we should go, we should go to Bird for lunch. Is it good? Gr- honestly, amazing chicken and waffles. 
Right. Genuinely, no eggs. Helen, Helen, can can you support this? this? I've been. Have you not been? We should go. We're going. We're going. All right. Uh, Other (laughs) chicken places are available. That is it for our Birds of Prey uh, and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn spoiler special. Uh, The next spoiler special will be probably The Invisible Man Mm. with director Lee Wanell and producer Jason Blum as well. But we might be able to throw out a retro spoiler special in between the two. We're... We're looking at that. We're in discussions, shall we say, <laughs> with ourselves mainly. What do we want to do next? Uh, so keep them peeled and we'll let you know when the next Spoiler Special is coming. But it shall be soon. But until then, regular podcast is out every single Friday, as you know. But until then, it is goodbye from Amon Warman. Peace. It is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to ask myself one question. I shaved my balls for this? <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Let's go get some lunch. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. There is a dress code. <laughs> <laughs>